Well, welcome to the Logically Faithful Podcast, Season 2. I am your host, Keldoon Swice. I am Associate Professor of Philosophy at the City Colleges of Chicago and Tutor of Philosophy with Oxford University. I have been studying the Christian faith, philosophy of religion, and apologetics for over two decades and have authored three books. I am the father of two amazing children and the husband of one incredibly beautiful wife. I am here to help you find evidence for your faith in Christ so that you can deal with suffering in life like I did for greater fulfillment that is life-changing. I am excited that you're with me on this journey. Let's go ahead and get started. My thesis or my point in this podcast is this. Run into the hard questions, not away from them. Because honest doubts can lead you through the back door of truth into a stronger faith. So it was my sophomore year at Eastern Illinois University. I was very excited to be there. I moved into the classes and began to go into the bunks. And um, uh, the bunks in my room, that is, I had a bunk bed even though I had no roommate. Actually, the roommate I had ended up leaving the, 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 the year I started which was kind of ironic. He's one of the reasons I went to the school in the first place. So I was going in to study psychology and things of that nature. Uh, but that all changed later on. Anyway, while I was there, I took a class on myth and culture. It was an exciting class I wanted to take. I was really looking forward to it because I was a big fan of mythology, whether it's Norse mythology, Greek mythology, Aztec mythology, or whatnot. Um, so I was very interested to see how this class would teach me about the contours of life and how the ancients have dealt with it and how we can learn from them. And of course, I needed it for to graduate as an elective. So I took the course. And as I uh, settled in with uh, my excitement there with the book and, and the class, it was, it was a small class, about maybe 15, 20 people in there. Uh, there were some interesting uh, guys and gals in that class. Uh, and as I sat down, the th- suddenly the teacher walked in, and I'll never forget him. He was tall, wavy hair, and he didn't wear shoes. I found out later on that he was called the caveman on campus. Because apparently he lived in some kind of naturalistic cave environment where he was really natural with a capital N. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, he went on in the, cor- in the beginning, uh, uh, first few segments of the class to say that if you are taking this class and you are a Christian, by the time you're finished with this class, I will have your faith dashed on the floor like a broken bottle of wine. Because the Bible is the greatest mythical book of all, full of talking snakes and donkeys. No one in their right mind should believe that. And this class, in addition to what you'll be learning about other myths, is designed to help you move beyond that. And then he went on and on about other things. Anyway, I was a new believer at that time. I had recently been growing in my faith, and I was, in a word, terrified. So I did something I would regret for the rest of my life. I got up and went immediately to the dean's office, and I dropped that class. I dropped it because I was, in a word, afraid, terrified. I was terrified of the doubts that began to rise within me like a bubbling, like a bubbling um, soda pop can that's been shaken and shaken, and they're ready to explode from the top as soon as the top is open, as soon as the questions start coming out, as soon as the, the ability to be able to question comes out, all my faith will start bubbling out, and I'll lose it. I was terrified. 
I was terrified he might be right. And I ran away. I ran away like a coward. And that changed the trajectory of my life. I was convicted by God later on, by the Holy Spirit, to continue um, uh, in my journey, not to let this put this behind me, because that changed me. Now, because of what happened then, I now run into the questions, not away from them. Because now I'm convinced that I am in a system, a belief system, a worldview, a paradigm, where the center of it is truth and love. And the cults tell us not to question, not to ask, not to read anything that disagrees with their hypothesis. But the scriptures say to question things because it tells us to love, to love God with all our mind. Matter of fact, Jesus said it's the two greatest commandments. And one part of that is love God with our minds. And this is a beautiful passage in Proverbs where it says the following. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commands within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry out for discernment, lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield for those who walk up in integrity. Guard the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. That's Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Um, if I knew that at the time, I would not have been running away. And you know something, this is um, in my philosophy courses, I have my students read some of this, and I actually had this on my door, portion of it. You see, in uh, a book written a number of years ago, actually in the 19th century, in 1877, William K. Clifford published an essay called The Ethics of Belief. See, in that essay, uh, Ethics of Belief, Clifford talks about a, a ship owner who owned a ship that he had people paid to get on it to have taken a trip from one part of the world to the nether part. And they paid a lot of money to him so they can travel with their families. The problem was that the, the ship owner did not have solid evidence that this ship would be seaworthy, that would actually be able to get them across the waters safely. But he nevertheless, he trusted Providence, so to speak, to get him across. So what happened is this ship crashed into the waters and all those people died. And Clifford tells us that the ship owner got his insurance money. Very sadly, um, Clifford says that this man is liable for the death of these people because he had no evidence on which to base his faith, base his faith upon. He had no evidence which to base his faith upon. He should not have let those people ride that ship. In the same way, you should not let your soul ride the waves of your faith unless you have some kind of evidence for it that will give you ability to trust through it. If you don't do that, then you are believing blindly and moving into the murky, deadly waters of spiritual darkness. You need to have some kind of evidence for it. Otherwise, your life would be one long sin against mankind. And here's how he says it. Then your life would be one long sin against mankind. Clifford is saying that we need to look at the evidence for things that we believe. Otherwise, it could be dangerous for us and the people under our care. Thus, in religion, in philosophy, in ethics, in spirituality, we should question. We shouldn't blindly believe things.
And otherwise, you'll end up with a problem because you won't know what, why you believe, what you believe, and you may end up like doing what I do, running away from the questions, cowering into your own uh, esoteric corner with your own little religious group, singing Amen or Allahu Akbar or whatever it is your religious groups do in your corner without actually questioning what it is you believe. And that's why it's so critical that we don't run away from these questions, that we embrace them and deal with them uh, with uh, utmost integrity as much as we can. So what I've been saying throughout this podcast is that we should run into the hard questions, not away from them. Be honest with your doubts. They can lead you through the back door of truth to a stronger faith. Now let's look at one of the most famous philosophers in the world, Immanuel Kant. He wrote in 1784 an essay called What is Enlightenment? And in it, he says the following, which I found to be fascinating. Laziness and cowardice are the reasons why such a large part of mankind gladly remain minors all their lives. Long after nature has freed them from external guidance, they are the reason why it is so easy for others to set themselves up as their guardians. It is so comfortable to be a minor. If I have a book that thinks for me, a pastor who acts as my conscience, a physician who prescribes my diet, and so on. I have no need to exert myself. I have no need to think. If I can only pay others who will take care of that disagreeable business for me. And you know what? What Kant was saying here? These others, these guardians, as he called them, what Plato would call that uh, earlier as well, can become malevolent abusers and users. You could be easy picking for tyrants if you don't think and easy picking for uh, cults if you don't allow yourself to question what you believe and why you believe it. It's, so being a person of faith is somebody who has their faith grounded in what they believe and knowing why they believe it. Don't become like me. Run into the hard questions because if you have embraced Christ and if you have walked with God, you can see that he himself is the way, the truth and the life. And that truth is not something to be afraid of. Shine all the light of intellectual scrutiny upon it. Only more light will come. And that light sometimes comes later than sooner. Sometimes you have to struggle. There are many questions about the Bible and the Christian faith and apologetics and philosophy, history, sociology that I just am struggling with intellectually speaking. But that does not mean I have to throw in the towel. I have to still move forward in my struggle. But just to be honest with you all, there are many areas I still struggle with. There is no way to find absolute certainty in everything. Let me give an example of uh, two people who struggled, Billy Graham and Charles Templeton. Because at that time, he was going through a difficult intellectual struggle with his faith, with his friend Chuck Templeton, who both did work for the Youth for Christ as both evangelists. Templeton struggled with his faith, but because he could not overcome his intellectual struggles, instead of continuing to pursue the option of truth, he decided to throw in the towel and walk away from his faith. Billy Graham did not do that. Uh, the authors and the great writers of his biographies tell us that what happened next was an, as legend with Billy. See, Billy Graham had put up a front for his Canadian friend, but the confrontation with Templeton left him stunned and intellectually humbled. 
He sought answers for the questions, but he couldn't find them. So Billy picked up his Bible and wandered alone onto the rugged hills of his forest, uh, around the area called Forest Home. He spotted an old tree stump, the story says, and he fell down on it and he began to pray. And Billy said the following, Oh God, there are many things in this book I do not understand. There are many problems with which I have no solution. And there are many seemingly contradictions. There are some areas that I do not seem to correlate with modern science. I can't answer some of these philosophical, psychological questions that Chuck and others are asking. Father, I'm going... Then he fell to his knees, he says, and he said the following to God. Father, I'm going to accept this as thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts. I will believe this is this year's your inspired word. With these words, Billy Graham felt the Spirit of God fill him, and he was inspired to continue searching and continue finding more answers and continue being an instrument for God that had exploded his ministry more than ever before. See, Templeton later on uh, said that he actually missed his faith with Jesus. He had gone through intellectual difficulty and he even wrote a book about it called Farewell to God. Why was Templeton going that route and Billy Graham going the other route? It's all based on choice and commitment. You see, it's not blindness. See, part of being faithful is being committed. That's why it's so important not to give up in doing this. So go ahead. Let me go ahead and wrap this up here. Uh, These are some tips that helped me, and I hope they'll help you as you go through this period of uh, challenging yourself to embrace the difficult questions and to deal with them in a way that's productive and healthy. I'm not advocating for intellectual suicide or blind faith. No, I don't think the scriptures call for that either. But the first thing we need to embrace and understand is that you are not alone. Some of the greatest people who have ever lived, Jacob, Abraham, Moses, even Jesus, struggled with questions they could not answer. And once you recognize that you're not alone in this, there are other people who are also struggling with you, you can recognize that you can go through this because they made it through, you can make it through too. Second thing, recognize that absolute certainty is absurd. It's unreasonable. It's not possible. You cannot be absolutely certain about anything else, almost anything, excuse me. Because after a while, our minds begin to doubt and having absolute certainty is not really possible in areas where you don't have mathematical proof in front of you on a constant basis. You have to trust. And that is what the word faith means. Trust. It will illustrate what that means. So imagine a man, the old story is, who goes up to a mountaintop to find God. He seeks and seeks God. He can't find him. After a while, he becomes discouraged. And as the sky begins to darken, he begins to make himself, uh, make him his way back down the mountainside. Suddenly there's a massive earthquake. The earth splits open. The man falls into the cracks and he catches a twig and he holds on to that twig for dear life. And he yells out, dear God, help me. And then for the first time, he hears a majestic voice. Joseph, he looks up. Yes. Do you trust me? Lord, is that you? Yes. Yes, I trust you. Joseph, it is I. Do you 
trust me. Yes, yes, Lord, I trust you. Please just help me, help me. As he's hanging from the twig, looking down uh, underneath where he's uh, about to fall. Maybe it looks like a several hundred feet, a thousand, he's not sure. And he's shaking, holding onto that twig. Then the voice says again, Joseph, if you trust me, let go. And that is a question before all of us. You see, after Joe lets go, he realizes that the fall is not that full hung at all. It's only a couple feet. <laughs> it looked like it was so long because of the mountain air and the fog. He trusted God. And through it, he changed his life. Here's a question, guys. As you're hanging on a thread of doubt, do you trust him? And that's what faith is about. Trusting God when you're hanging over the pit of uncertainty. Do you trust him to get you through it? thing that really helped me in dealing with uncertainty is reading. Reading great literature. Reading the great intellectual tradition of the Christian history and Christian thought. Um, I have uh, um, edited two wonderful books on Christian apologetics. I recommend you look into those. They'll be available on the show notes. The classic is Christianity, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis and uh, The Problem of Pain by him as well. There are a lot of other great books out there I can recommend to you, and I'll put those in the show notes. Also, in addition to reading literature that inspires you and helps you move forward and answer some of the questions you have, guys, there's also literature that you need to engage with that challenges you. You need to be challenged in your faith. Otherwise, you become stagnant. So read literature from both sides of the pen. So that was number three. Number four, surround yourself with good people who have also overcome their intellectual struggles and learn how they made it. You see, uh, it is said to us that we are the sum total of the five or six people we spend the most time with. And there's, I am convinced that it's that's so powerful in my life. When I started to change the people I spend time with and change it to a different group of people, I started to notice a change in the way I work, the way I speak, the way I pray, the way I think. The people around us influence us in profound ways. So who are you spending time with? These are the people that will change and challenge you. Uh, scripture tells us in Proverbs that as iron sharpens iron, so one man another. And do not be, de- do not be deceived. Uh, good company, uh, bad company corrupts good character. Guys, we could take these verses and flip them. We could say that good company uplifts bad character. We can t- take the things that we're struggling with, be around people that will help us and inspire us. So in summary, you're not alone, number one. Greater people have struggled with faith than you than me. Two, it's absurd to think that you can be absolutely certain about anything. Uh, three, great, read great literature to help cultivate your imagination and inspire your faith. And uh, read uh, literature that will challenge it as well. Number four, uh, most importantly, surround yourself with good people who have struggled and have gotten through them as well. So those are the four things I, I summarized with you. And uh, to, uh, to conclude this section, the uh, star verse for Christian apologetics is 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. It is a profound piece of uh, encouragement in the scriptures. It, it says the following. Always prepare, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so those who speak maliciously about your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for good than for doing evil. Now we come to my favorite section, the Q&A time. Mark writes, Dear Professor Swice, 
I have been struggling with homosexuality most of my life. How do I deal with this? How do I reconcile my faith with the fact that I love men and that God will condemn me to hell because I have these struggles? Help me. Mark, thank you for um, your bravery in writing and then telling me about this. Uh, a lot of people will not come forward like this the way you have, so I commend you for that. By the way, Mark, your name, Mark, is the first biographer of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful name that you have and have the lineage uh, to, to follow after that. That's, that's wonderful. Now, Mark, um, there are many people who struggle with this question, not just homosexuals, but also heterosexuals who struggle how to deal with the question itself because it's become a politically charged issue. Um, so on a political level, let me, let me try to address this as succinctly as I can because there's so much to this because it's politically charged speech. For example, at, uh, at Olive Harvey College, I do a series called The Socratic Project where I bring in scholars from all different fields. When we did, debated global warming, which got kind of heated, uh, we debated religion, we debated uh, sexism, uh, racism, things of that nature. But when we started to debate homosexuality, I had letters asking for my resignation from across the district. I should resign because I brought two different points of view to debate the question that has been debated and is still being debated that about homosexual ethical conduct. And um, I, I, I had to shut the event down because the most tolerant crowd, the liberal crowd, were being the most intolerant. And this is across the board uh, that we found um, in, in dealing with this issue uh, in different political spectrums. Point of view to be spoken, whether it's Donald Trump or whether it's people who oppose homosexuality. Now, here's the problem here. This has been the case in the past. It was reversed. The people in power would not allow evolution to be taught in public schools. Now those in power will not allow creationism to be taught in public schools. The people in the power in the past would not allow homosexuality to be uh, talked about as, a, as, a, as an issue in schools. They won't even allow it on the table for discussion. Today, the people in the political arena will not allow the dissenting point of view to discuss. So it depends on who's in power. Now, I'm glad I have a podcast here where I'm able to speak, and I hope you give me the courtesy of hearing me, hearing me out and the, the courtesy of letting me speak as an American a different point of view. And I mean that because there are some organizations that will shut down what I'm doing merely because I presented a different point of view. And they forget that we are living in the United States where free speech is of paramount importance. Speech is of paramount importance. Will you grant me the ability to speak my mind freely on this? If so, thank you for not imposing your view on me as many in the past have imposed their view on you. All right, with that said, uh, Mark, here's the deal. Thank you for being open with your struggles. Many people are not brave enough to doing what you're doing. Mark, I also struggle too as a heterosexual in my own areas as well. Many people struggle. You're not the only one who's going through this, okay? First, understand that. Secondarily, um, let's get into the biblical passages about this. Now, I'm not going to go through these in explicit detail, but I do want to touch on that. There is, in all of Christian history, very few people who would disagree with the hypothesis that homosexuality is considered abnormal and immoral and an abomination into God's law. 
This is in the scriptures. This is not something I've made up or my sociological culture has made up or people have said forward in the Old Testament because they found it icky. No, it has something to do with the grounding in the natural order of the masculine and the feminine and the creation of the male and the female and the complementariness between the two. Uh, we can get into the details behind that some other time. But for now, I think you already know that. That's why you're asking the question. First off, let me point out that people do not go to hell because they struggle with homosexuality. Don't buy that lie because people do not get into heaven because they're heterosexual. We need to avoid the extremes that say the Bible is only about love or the Bible is only about truth. It's both. God is the God of love, but he's also the God of truth. Both of these need to be taken together to bring forward true life for people. If you see somebody struggling in sin, you tell them what's wrong, you tell them what's sinful, you tell them what's poisonous. And if you love them, you will embrace them and help them grow and change through that. You see, telling somebody that the Bible is only about love, complete sentimentality. It's also grossly inadequate to say we should only talk about truth. That leads to blind fundamentalism. We need a balance between the both. We can't completely reject people who claim to be homosexual who are struggling with it. That's not Christian. And we cannot also go the other route, route that says we accept anything and everything you do, whatever your proclivities, whatever your preferences, go ahead and give in to them. That's not loving. That's not truth either. Let me go through something that's really helped me in dealing with this issue, um, Mark. That'll help you, I hope. Okay, so here's some quick questions and some quick answers. This would be a firecracker effect. Is homosexual temptation a sin, the one that you're going through? The answer is no, because Jesus himself was tempted in every way, but did not sin. Uh, it, second question, is homosexual behavior a sin? Yes, the Bible is full of that and riddled through it. That do not have sexual relations with a man as a man does with a woman. There are multiple passages in scripture that you have to do a lot of really tricky intellectual gymnastics to get around it. You know in your heart that it is a sin. Otherwise, I don't think you'll be asking the question. Uh, third question, is homosexuality the worst sin? No, it's not. There are different hierarchies of sins. The, when you harden your heart toward God and have a prideful attitude, that's actually worse than all of that. And many non-people who don't struggle with homosexuality are guilty of those types of sins. Pride, jealousy, greed, uh, deep levels of mistrust and betrayal. There's a lot to worse things than homosexuality. Uh, are people born homosexual? There are people who are born with proclivities to certain things. Uh, some scientific studies tell us yes, some scientific studies no. Either way, Mark, you have a choice of what to do with the proclivities and desires and preferences you have. I'm not saying you wake up one day and flip a coin and decide which sexuality you choose. That's absurd. Of course not. But you do not have to be controlled by your desires. Neither do I. We are not animals. We can give in to them. Do not buy the lie, Mark, that you are only, your identity is only your sexuality. That you have to be, quote, true to yourself. That's absurd. What you need to be do is true to the God who made you and loves you and redeemed you and died for you. And then you can truly find yourself and be yourself. Hold on to that, Mark. Let that be a balm for your soul that there is hope through this. Hope is found by that hope is found by attacking the false belief that you're unloved, that you're not worthy of uh, of God's love. God loves you enough to give His Son for you. Once you grasp that, Mark, you can find true freedom of of dealing with your sin and maybe even struggling with it, and finding hope in in fulfilling your life and doing other things that are based on your skills, experiences, and talents that God can use to make your world a better place and help you find meaning and significance. 
listen, if you're really struggling with this on a deeper level that's leading you to depression, you may need psychological or people who will step in who are professionals who will help you deal with this in a proper way. I strongly recommend you seek out good pastors who can recommend some good resources in your area or email me and I'll, I'll take a look at um, some areas uh, around me and some resources that can help you find deep healing and to navigate these difficult waters that you're going through. Remember, brother, your true identity is in Christ, not in your sexuality. Neither is it in my sexuality. Mark, thank you for writing. I appreciate your bravery in going through that. Uh, quick resource uh, for others who may be struggling with this. Joe Dallas, who's written some wonderful books on how confronting and dealing with homosexuality on a personal level. Uh, the Complete Christian's Guide to Understanding Homosexuality, as well as many others that he's written. I recommend you look into his resource. I recommend to you uh, one great resource that has a very scholarly nature. It's uh, Robert Gad. Anon. He's a professor of New Testament at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. He's written a 500-page book called The Bible and Homosexual Practice, Texts and Hermeneutics. You can take a look at that on a scholarly level to help you through that. Again, Mark, thank you for your bravery and thank you for writing. Uh, anybody else, if you have any questions, feel free to email me. It's Kaldun at LogicallyFaithful.com. That's K-H-A-L-D-O-U-N. I appreciate you being with me, and I would more appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes. And go ahead and sign up on the Logically Faithful website, where I have a free gift for you, a free ebook. Thank you. The free ebook is Blind Spots of Science, 10 Things Science Can't Do, free for anyone who signs up. Now go, make the world a better place, one life 